Okay, good evening, everyone. Those that are listening by phone, those that are a part of the uh, internet audience, and those that may be listening in the future to the recording, we're finishing up part four in the series we've been doing, Reasons to Believe. And part four is on the inspiration of the scriptures. And we had just one last part that we wanted to finish up. And then we want to move right into part five tonight. And there may be a momentary break for those of you that are listening online when we transition from part four to part five. But this part four that we're completing uh, is very important because now we've discussed the historical authenticity of both the Old and New Testaments, And we've been addressing the question, how do we know the Bible is God's Word? What makes it different from all the other religious books and all the other religious writings that are in the world? And we looked quite extensively at a number of proofs of the fact that the Bible is unique and it makes thousands of claims within it that these were recorded quotations from God. And repeatedly the prophets would say, the word of the Lord came to me saying, and then it's literally in quotations what they were writing down. So this one last section I want to look at that kind of ties it all together, that I think it leaves no question that from Genesis to Revelation, we're not just reading a collection of poetry or history or uh, moral guidance. This is God's word to mankind, and therefore it has tremendous weight, tremendous authority, and tremendous power. And I want to begin tonight with a well-known scripture in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 to 17. And I'm going to read it from the New King James Version. 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 to 17. It says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And you all know my favorite word in the Bible is all. All scripture is given by inspiration. And we're going to look at a couple of interesting examples tonight to see how literal that is, that right down to individual words, even the tense of a verb, whether it's present or past, or whether a noun is singular or plural, those little details were all inspired by God. So literally all of Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And another verse that I love from the Old Testament is found in Proverbs 30, verses 5 and 6. 
and it says, every word of God is pure. Every word of God is pure. He is a shield to those who put their trust in him. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. And I want to show you just three quick examples of how literally every word from Genesis to Revelation is inspired, and it's all authoritative. It's God's word to us. And the first example I want to show you is found in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 16. Galatians 3, verse 16. And this is one of many cases that we've already talked about where a New Testament writer is quoting from the Old Testament scriptures. And Paul, writing to the Galatians here, he says, Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to your seed, who is Christ. And we're not going to turn there, but uh, he's quoting from Genesis chapter 22, verse 17 and 18. Let me read the portion from Galatians again. Paul writes, Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and then this is in quotation marks, and to seeds, end of quote, as of many, but as of one. And then he quotes again, and to your seed. So, not only does Paul base his whole entire argument here on a portion of scripture from Genesis, he's basing it on one single word, the word seed. And his argument is based on the fact that the word is singular, one seed, and not many seeds. And of course, he's using this to prove that the word seed in Genesis was a prophetic reference to Christ, not many seeds, but one seed, the Messiah. And another example of just how literal we need to take every word of God, in Hebrews chapter 12, uh, verses 26 to 27. Hebrews 12, 26 to 27. Hebrews says, At that time his voice shook the earth, But now he has promised, once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words, and these are in quotes, once more, indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. The writer of Hebrews here is quoting from Haggai, chapter 2, verse 6. And similar to the previous example, here the writer of Hebrews is zeroing in on just two words to make his whole point. 
the words once more. And the quotation from Haggai is, once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. So just two words, once more, are used here by the writer to make his point. And without going into all the explanation of what he's trying to show here, I'm just trying to show you how every word of God is pure. Every single word is there for a purpose. And whether or not we understand or have a revelation of the full meaning, I think these two scriptures that we started with, all scripture is given by inspiration of God, and every word of God is pure. We can take literally every word of God is powerful, authoritative, and infallible. There are no mistakes, there are no errors, there are no contradictions, as the atheists would have us to believe. And one more example is found in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 22, and we'll go from verse 29 to 32. Matthew 22, 29 to 32. Jesus replied, You are in error because you do not know the Scriptures. Now, you remember last time we talked a lot about this word, Scriptures. For Jesus or for any Jew living at the time Jesus was here on earth, they knew what the word Scriptures meant. It was a reference to the Old Testament Scriptures. And, of course, now the word has broadened to include the New Testament. The Old Testament and the New Testament are the Scriptures. But here he's referring to the Old Testament Scriptures. You are in error because you do not know the Scriptures or the power of God. Now he's talking to the Pharisees who knew the Scriptures very, very well, and so they must have been shocked when he told them, you're in error you don't know the Scriptures. And continuing in verse 30, At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. But about the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what God said to you? And then he quotes from the Old Testament. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. End of quote. And it's amazing how Jesus takes this one quote to make his point. And really, he's using just one verb, I am, and the tense of the verb to make his whole argument. It's not I was or I will be, or I used to be. It's in the present tense. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And just those two little words, I am, Jesus uses to prove his case that God is a living God, and he's the God of the living, not the dead. Let me, let me go through this again. He tells them, first of all, you guys don't know the Scriptures. And then he quotes the Scriptures. And he prefaces it by saying, 
about the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what God said to you? And he quotes, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead. It would have been in the past tense. It would have said, I was the God of Abraham, I was the God of Isaac, and I was the God of Jacob, if he was merely the God of the dead. But because it's in the present tense, Jesus bases his whole argument on that one word, I am, to prove God is the God of the living and not the God of the dead. So every word of God is important. Every word of God is pure. And I want to close out this part four with one last scripture found in Psalm 12, verse 6. Psalm 12, verse 6. The words of the Lord are flawless, like silver refined in a furnace of clay, purified seven times. I like that. The words of the Lord are flawless. They're perfect. They're infallible. They're inspired by God. You and I can base and build our whole life around the Bible because it is God's divinely inspired word. And I want to pray as we close out this section and we're going to come right back in a moment and begin a whole separate part here, part five of this Bible study. But I want to I pray here. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for revealing to us that the Bible is just not just another book of poetry or interesting little proverbs or moral stories and teachings, but it is your word to mankind. God, I pray for everyone listening, everyone participating in this Bible study, that supernaturally your Holy Spirit would give us that assurance, that conviction, and that revelation that this is the Word of God. It is pure, it is perfect, it is infallible, and Lord, we can trust every word that you've given to us. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for giving us the Bible from Genesis to Revelation and to know that when we read it, we're not just reading another book. We're reading the book, the Bible. Lord, we praise you and we thank you for your precious word. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. All right. Those of you that are listening online, we'll be right back in a moment. Those of you that are on the phone, just hang in there for about 30 seconds. <laughs> 